Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for TWIP is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com and Squarespace dot com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to Squarespace dot com forward slash TWIP. A Photokina Roundup, Sony comes on strong with the A55, and photocomment.net editor Tristan Hall joins the discussion. It's Saturday, September 25th, 2010, and this is Twitch. Welcome back to TWIP, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson, and joining me today on the show are Mr. Alex, Lindsay, and Tristan Hall, who's the editor of a property called Photo Comment, based out of South Africa. And he, Tristan's here to talk about his experience at Photokina in Germany this past week. Hey, guys. Hey. Has it? All right. Uh, first off, um, Alex, you haven't been on the show in forever. Where have you been? What have you been doing? And why have you been <laughs> avoiding us? <laughs> I uh, I have been uh, traveling a little bit. I'm I'm actually just back for about a week and a half uh, uh, before I go again. But I'm I'm right now. I was I, before I was in shooting in. Uh, we were shooting video and some interviews in London mm-hmm. and Paris, and then we covered IBC uh, for Gear Media Tech. Um, in Amsterdam. And so my brother and I were, uh, you know, we had our Canon 5Ds and basically spent the most of the days in between shooting tons and tons of, uh, of images. And, um, and then we, in the mornings or afternoons or evenings when we had to actually shoot something, then we, we were shooting, shooting lots of video. So, so, uh, so did the, did the, the London cops, uh, get all over you for shooting? I have this okay. image, I have this image in my head of you and your brother running around at double speed, like Benny Hill, Avoid, you know, avoiding cops is, is that it was like so it is it, it so i sent you, you you asked me that while i was in london so i got yep. this text message from from frederick saying you know so have you been you have have you been arrested yet and, <laughs> and and i was like no no one in fact in fact the way we shoot the thing is is that when i shoot mostly what i'm doing is shooting reference for 3d and textures and everything else and so the way i shoot is very unusual and it would look probably suspect because i'm not taking pictures big wide pictures of castles or or big things. I'm taking like close-up pictures of signs and weird pictures of certain corners and that type of thing because that's you know I'm trying to get certain information out of it. And so uh, and so I was amazed. We we, you know, we really spent a couple of days just wandering around, shooting, doing whatever we're going to do. No one talked to us. Uh, we did all the shooting we were doing. Now most of it was really in the heart of London. Uh, and so of course I I, I, I uh, text message back to Frederick going, no 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 no, no one's bothered us. This, this is this is all overblown. <laughs> yeah. No no more than an hour or two later, my brother gets a ticket for um, you know like a warning from the cops um, who are what happened was is he was shooting a bunch of photos in an alley you know like kind of in a back area yeah something he just thought was it looked interesting photographically and uh, so he was shooting some photos there and then these plain cops these plain clothes cops came up to him and, and uh, said so what are you shooting you know and it was like and uh, it was quite a thing like how quickly they they came down on him it was obviously they've been watching him and first he thought they were following him and then he realized you know London is under so many cameras that they probably were following him but not personally. You know, they just kind of, but they just kind of, they, they, they definitely had knew where he had been shooting for a while before they walked up and talked to him. It wasn't like they just saw him taking pictures and decided to walk up. So there, there's obviously something going on in, in London uh, as far as them making calculations or decisions about who is 
um, a threat. And my brother evidently was looked very threatening. Wow. You know, with his, and your you know, brother does not look threatening at all. So <laughs> I know that's the yeah, that's a but that's the funny part. So yeah, yeah. so yeah, it was he. Uh, it was a it was a fascinating um, thing. You know, in some ways you can understand it. Uh, in some ways, though, it, it it isn't as bad as it as we first reported it. I mean, I think it sounded like you know, if you pick up a camera, you will be arrested, kind of thing. And it's not that bad. Um, but if you do anything out of the ordinary. Um, and you start shooting things that are not to- typical touristy things to shoot in in not typically touristy areas. Uh, you you are going to get some attention, and you get you do get a little attention. You don't get talked to, but you definitely get more attention in San Francisco in the same way. I've seen I've seen that actually. Wow. Uh, where you you know you get a little bit more. Um, you know, people will watch you if you're if you're taking pictures of odd things. You know, because I take lots of pictures of you know odd things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting. So Tristan, you are, uh, let's, let's, first of all, this is your first time on this week in photo. So thank you very much for, uh, for coming on. I have no idea what time it is and, and where you are in the world right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just listening to that and thinking that's good advice to take in because we, we're in London for the next two days before we fly back to South Africa. So okay. I, uh, I'll try not to look weird or strange while we, while we, are. Well, whatever, whatever that means, right? There wasn't, there wasn't any request to get the, the film back. There isn't anything else. I mean, to be honest with you, I would just shoot until someone told me to stop. It doesn't sound like they're <laughs> they're getting aggressive about it. You know, it's just that it just sounds like they w- they might come over now. I think after they come over and talk to you about it, it would probably be a good idea not to do more, at least in that area. <laughs> okay, yeah. well, that's good to know. So but, Tristan, but they're obviously putting you in the system, so you are getting put into oh, the system. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, so, so you're you're so like flag now. You're, you're, yeah, so if it, you know they're they're saying we're paying attention to you now. If we find you a year from now doing this, you know we're going to be probably less less kind. You know, you know. So I think that you know I, I definitely think that there was kind of a veiled you know like you need to be careful about what you're shooting kind of thing um, that that uh, you know my brother got out of that situation. Yeah. So Tristan, let's hear a little bit about you. Folks are are brand new to you. So uh, where what's photo comment your your property down there in South Africa and what do you do? How'd you get into photography? Give us the uh, give us the elevator pitch for Tristan Hall. Um well basically I started in photography already when I was in high school. Um the the bug bit and you know I'd spend the rest of my days my breaks in school sitting in the media center and going through old national geographics and <coughs> sorry. Um, you know, just looking at the old National Geographics and staring at half of the pictures and, and half of the camera ads that used to be inside of them and dreaming of the dad own one. And it kind of just grew from there. I, you know, got my first camera and, and, um, just pursued photography and, um, started, I dabbled a little bit in doing camera repairs. And from there, I worked in retail and in wholesale. And, um, I did a bit of a stint in, um, a contract in Sony's uh, marketing department for Alpha recently. Um, but photo comments started as a, a personal project. It was just, you know, there wasn't a, a very much happening in terms of South African photography news and, and photography blogs or, or of that sort, um, you know, that they carried I, almost magazine-style content. And that's, that's kind of how it started off as a, a solo project and it just grew from there. And about 18 months ago, um, we launched... Uh, Probably one of South Africa's first uh, online uh, 
flash-based photography magazines and um, you know you can flip the pages and everything as you would uh, using if it had been paper-based and and it's just grown from there um, that's yeah. a photograph photo comment runs basically two sides we've got a, a blog which talks about the news and and then in our magazine side we feature a lot of of um photographers themselves you know getting their work out there um, photographic tutorials um and just try and inspire people uh, to to improve their photography all right Tristan, i want to i want to definitely get into that a little deeper but first um i want to give a quick nod to one of our sponsors alex who's who's sponsoring us today well, of course, we want to thank Squarespace. Uh, Squarespace, of course, is, the, is just a great, easy way for you to build your own website. If you're a photographer uh, and you are trying to figure out, you know, you, you are a photographer. You're not a web designer. You're not someone who is, is out there uh, trying to figure out how to use HTML or CSS or any of those things. You just want to get your stuff up there. And um, that is exactly what Squarespace uh, makes easy. Uh, it, it, they handle all the hosting for you, so you are, um, you know, you can, you don't have to think about that. You simply design what you're doing, get it up there, and uh, and and there, and you have a website, and you can do it in literally a couple hours. You're going to have something that looks great. You can continue to customize it. If you're an expert, you can keep, you can add CSS. You can do all, you know, but you can also, if you're a beginner, you can. You have hundreds of design templates to choose from. You can customize any of these to make it really yours. Uh, and so you, you have a, a lot of modules. So whether you want to have Twitter widgets or Amazon widgets or Flickr widgets or RSS widgets, all of those things, you don't have to think about how to put them in. You just drag and drop them in. And so it's, you know, there's form builders, there's photo galleries, there's forums. So all of those things are things that, um, you know, from the Flickr photo displays to the Twitter to the iPhone app. And you, there's an iPhone app where you can actually take pictures and send them straight up to the blog. You know, all of those things are, are something that's easy. They're drag and drop. They're WYSIWYG. You just sit there and decide how you want to do it and throw it up there. Now, the other great thing about it is is that you can, you know, you're not worried about it going down. If, if for some reason you get hit by a big show, uh, you know, or, or someone really tags into one of your images or videos, you know, this is on the cloud. It's not on a, it's not on a little server somewhere that crashes. And, yeah. uh, and so it's just really, uh, you, if you, if you just got to give it a shot. So go up to squarespace.com, and uh, if you go to squarespace.com slash TWIP, that's T-W-I-P, you can sign up. You don't need a credit card. You can just start building a website. So you can decide if this is something you want to do uh, you know, or not. And so um, if you uh, decide you want to do it, you can make it your own URL. You can get a lot of the other, other uh, little uh, things that are, that are available. But you can build something immediately. Like, I don't know, my brother has a Squarespace. I don't know if he's paid for it yet. I think he just has the free version of it. And, 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 it's, and it works. It's fully operational. It's just if you want extra features and so on and so forth, you'll need to sign up. You can get 10% off if you use the offer code TWIP. And uh, but otherwise, go up to squarespace.com slash twip. Sign up for your own account. See if this is really as good as I'm uh, as I'm saying it is. But I think you're going to really enjoy it. I think that if you're trying to figure out how to get up there, um, it's really possible. I know we're the DB Garage site. You know, our my, my my blog and the DB Garage site are both on on Squarespace, and we're about to test Squarespace pretty heavily. We're putting up uh, Ask a Ninja opening video clips on dbgarage.com. That's cool. This week, the week that you're listening to the show, and uh, and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be like, you know, I I emailed them. I, I was like, so you need you need to know we're going to put gigabytes of footage up there. <laughs> we may move terabytes of of data when we announce it, and uh, and they were like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no problem. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> wow. Like, this yeah, is yeah. a good test. I definitely want to see if they can handle like, it. I was That's waiting awesome. for them to go. I was waiting to go back and go, like, well, let me get back to you and let me and, and they were just like, Yeah, it's not it's really not a problem. You know, and I was like, Okay. Yeah. You know, and so uh now of course, you know, we have a you know, we have the upper level version of the of Squarespace and uh where you have unlimited bandwidth and so on and so forth. And when they say unlimited, they mean it. So, yeah. uh, which is unusual for a lot of people. So Alex, it's, it's probably important to also mention that when you do purchase that and you use the offer code TWIP, that you get that 10% off for life. Yeah, this isn't just a sign-up thing. Yeah. You're paying 10% less on whatever you sign up for for life. And so, yeah. uh, you know, this isn't some kind of like good for six months or three months or when you sign up. It really is something that's just ongoing. So definitely check it out. Go to squarespace.com slash twip. All right. All right, Tristan, uh, back to you. I, had a, I have a burning question. So we just, you know, at the top of the show, we were talking about how, you know, Alex's brother was confronted by the authorities for taking photos in London there in South Africa. You know, how what's the temperature there in terms of 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 security and photographers being able to take photos wherever they want, whenever they want and, and that sort of thing? Just paint a picture for us for folks that, that haven't been there like me. I, th- I think. You know, we haven't had the same kind of pressing issues um, as what, uh, you know, cities like London and that have experienced, um, particularly in terms of international security risks and, and such. I think your your biggest security risk is in South Africa is more from a domestic level. It's not – it's been one of the striking differences for me here, you know, going in Cologne and now in, in Germany. And this is the first time uh, – sorry, in London, the first time I'm traveling outside of um, South Africa or – Spend some time in in East Africa, but not but not uh, you know on on the same kind of business where I was carrying around expensive camera equipment with me, mm-hmm. and um, you know generally you're walking around on the streets a lot more at later at night and you feel a lot safer. South Africa, you don't do that very often, so you know you you generally um, feel more at risk of of someone trying to take your gear from you than you are of of it being a security threat and the police coming up to you. Um, where, where are you in South Africa? Um, I'm in Johannesburg, so I stay in in uh, um, one of the largest suburbs of of Johannesburg. Yeah, mm-hmm. so and it's it's a bit of a it, you know it's just I in South Africa would you. If you want to go to the shops, you get into your car and you go to the shops. Um, there's a few parts of of the, you know, of Johannesburg in particular where you you kind of go to a shopping center, park your car, and and you've got these massive malls that you can walk around in, and and some suburbs which you know you can do the same. That you know, there's um, the the shops lining the streets, and and because the people are there in mass, you kind of feel a lot safer. But um, there's certainly large parts of the cities in that which you wouldn't necessarily do unless you were in a group of people going around and, and taking photographs. Um, I right. don't know. So perhaps, it's a, it sounds like common sense, right? Just like, yes, you know, any, yeah. just like any other place, you know, if you're walking around with thousands and thousands of dollars worth of gear, just be cognizant of your surroundings uh, and, exactly. and don't take unnecessary risks. Correct? Well, and I That's think it, you, uh, we always have to remember, I do, as, as you may know, I, I do a lot of work in, in Africa in general. And mm-hmm. one of the things that's in the back of my head, you know, whether I'm shooting in South Africa or Zimbabwe or... Tanzania or Rwanda, is that you know I'm I'm holding something that represents you know years of the average person's income. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's, you know so it's 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 you don't want to, you have to kind of from an American perspective it's a small you know amount it's not a small amount of money it's still expensive it's still something that costs a lot of money um, but it would be as if I was like I uh, the way I imagine it is when I have a camera in Africa it is if the camera was if I was walking around in the United States 
and that camera was plated or built with gold and it had mm. it was diamond encrusted mm. and you know and it had you know just it had bits of platinum and all kinds of other stuff mixed into it i mean that's what it's like if i was carrying and i, I would worry about carrying that around you know exactly. I, you know carrying around that in san francisco just because it has so much value that's interesting yeah. in reference to i mean compared to the average uh, income and so you just have to kind of keep that in mind is that is that you know it's the same thing as you'd have the same amount of demand as you'd have here in the United States, it's just adjusted for uh, the income that's around you. And that's, that's the thing you have to kind of, and for me anyway, that's what I have to always stay. Uh, now, you, you have to be aware of that. And, and it's always, you know, the, 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 the culture is, or the, the way that the, the cities and that are laid out is, is different to what you'd have in, in areas where people are roaming around freely on the streets and the streets are busy. Um, I think also important, you will face security coming up to you in, in shopping malls and areas like that where they don't like you, you know, taking photographs. And, and it's mainly just a case of, of security guards, um, nine times out of ten, just, you know, being able to, to throw a bit of weight around. Often the, the center management aren't too opposed to the idea um but you know it's it's more of a your biggest risk is you know your camera stuff being stolen um and that's something you've got to just be very aware of yeah so yeah go out in groups and and do photo walks that's that's kind of really the way to go for it there you go yeah all right let's let's jump into uh photokina so you're you're hot off of photokina the the calls are being emptied now what was just from the top down, Tristan? What was your feeling of Photokina? I don't know if this was your first time there or not, but just in terms of, you know, the 2010 Photokina, positive, negative, or or other. Um, I, yeah, it was my first time going there, and you know, I went with pretty much people told me it would be big. I, you, you can't really prepare yourself for how big it actually is, um, and it, I think from that point of view, it was very positive. You you feel. You feel like you're in one gigantic toy shop, um, and from that point of view, it's it's a it's a fantastic place to be. Feel like a little boy again, running around and and you know chasing all the new things that happen to be there. I think what was a bit um, disappointing was that we had, you, you know, often Fotokina in the past has been the place where where groundbreaking news was made. I mean, I first got my ears first pricked up with Fotokina when Canon launched the EOS 3 in the days of film and Contax launched their 645 medium format camera. And, and this was all stuff that had happened at Fotokina. Um, you know, and now I, I look back at it and it's kind of, we, we had all the great news before we went. And so there was kind of this expectation that we would see more than what we actually did. Um, in many ways, it was a, from that point of view, a bit disappointing. Um, you know, there wasn't any fantastic breaking news that, that came out while we were there. But the, the, the experience of it all was, was great. And I think you, you can't detract from that. You, you see a lot more, th- um, you know, a lot more product than you would shopping around in, in your camera stores, um, get to, to speak to, um, you know, some of the people hands on. And, and that, that provides you with some fantastic enrichment and inspiration. There's images lining the halls, uh, in, or passageways between the halls of the, of the exhibition and it it's a it's quite an, an enriching place from that point of view yeah. um but yeah a bit of a mixed mixed reaction i i enjoyed it I, I i think it's been a fantastic experience but you know i would need to think twice about whether it's worthwhile going there for the latest news if if i've already had it by press release before we left and and in some instances even got to to preview the products before we left home yeah that's that's what i was thinking i mean i i would have loved to have gone to photokina but 
uh, my, from a pragmatic standpoint, I'm thinking, well, you know, I can, I can read the websites that are covering Photokina and, and see the things that are announced and then also get my other stuff done without having gone there. But listening to you, it sounds like it was much more, much more experiential than just straight news acquisition there. Correct. Right. I know for me when I go to when I go to any of these conferences and I you know I just got, got back from IBC is there's just a lot of things that I can't figure out unless I'm touching it and playing with it and talking to the folks that are yeah. there. And I, yeah. I under I used to understate that I used to be kind of like oh I don't know I think conventions are going to die and everything else but there's something that is very valuable for me um, to walk around and be able to play with it and get a sense of it and, and talk to guys and and get you know learn more about it that that I just can't get from the press releases or the web videos yet maybe someday. But not yet. Yeah. yeah, I think that's very, very important. I mean, um, Greg, who is with me on, on, is a critical part of our team. Uh, he in particularly enjoys video side of things, and he got to to get some time hands on with the NEX uh, VG10, which they launched the changeable lens uh, handycam, yeah. and um, you know, it was that that was fantastic because we haven't had that opportunity yet. Uh, back back in South Africa, they're still waiting for the samples to arrive. So that was you know for us a, a great experience. Um, but the disappointing part in some ways is you're competing with these masses of um, you know because the shows open to the public pretty much from day one and so you dealing with these masses of of um people coming through the stand and in, in many instances those stands didn't have enough product for for the the crowds that were trying to see them and to touch them um so i mean we walked away without touching some of the, the latest releases uh, at all uh, just one, because i wasn't prepared to rest to them you know i was talking to another i was talking to someone um at another conference you know i was talking to one of their organizers and i was like you know there with some conferences they give press access the first day you know, or at least the first two hours before everyone else comes in. Um, and I really think that that increasingly makes sense for these conventions because, yes. you know, when you have a person who's in the press wandering around, they're representing thousands of people, you know, and giving them, uh, you know, or hundreds of thousands of people uh, and, and giving them um, an extra, like if there's a three-day convention, I think it really makes sense for one day you know, the first day to be really just the press day yeah. where, you know, or, you know, and, you know, and it's just them being able to walk around. There's, there's a handful of them and it may seem like a lot of buildup and it wouldn't be worth doing the convention if it was only them. But, you know, the average, you could just push the public into the other two days and they would be fine. And, and it would get the people that are having the convention a lot more out of it because they would, you know, have a nice place where, you know, I know that I would shoot a lot more, if I didn't have to deal with crowds that were, you know, walking through my camera, you know, my camera angles, my, you know, when we're trying to shoot video at a convention, it's just like people, you know, especially people who are not professionals who are there, you know, kind of are a constant issue. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> you know, almost like, like there needs to be two trade shows, right? I mean, yeah, or at well, least like I know some like one of the one of the previous trade shows I was at, at they there was the main trade show and then as an evening event was a press kind of walkthrough that was off to the side. This was in Vegas off to the side and, and in the kind of the bowels of the wind where it was access only had to be on the list and you go in there and it was all the vendors with the same size tables set up and you know, you could just sort of wander around or the people could wander around from booth to booth and get the top line messages and play with the gear right there without being encumbered by the masses of trade show goers that aren't necessarily representing, like you said, Alex, legions of people. Well, the, th- the issue there is also that the, um, and this might be a little too much in- inside baseball for our, for our members, but I mean, for our listeners, but, but the, the issue is, is that we, that, um, 
The problem with that, of course, is that the trade show doesn't get any money from that. That's somebody else renting that, that room, you know, that company that does it. Mm-hmm. It's not part of NAB. It's not part of CES. It's, so, it's completely separate. And that is a real problem for these trade shows because if that builds up, it really does damage them. You know, and they, the, what, the best way for them to, to you know, handle that is to allow for, um, you know, allow these folks to uh, have an extra day or an extra half day yeah. where it's just their access because that would, you know, most people wouldn't bother with that, that, that quiet room if they had a quiet big hall because it's just better to shoot at. Like if you're CNN, it's much better to shoot on the show floor than, than in that little room where it looks like everybody else. Yeah, you know, that's the issue. All right, well, yeah. bring it, bringing it back around to, to Photokina, uh, the top story in our list here to, to talk about is the incredible shrinking pro camera market. And uh, this this the story that we're looking at that we'll link to in the show notes is from Dan, Dan Havlick from PDN Gear Guide. And basically he was saying that his first day at Photokina in Cologne um, it was marked by n- what he didn't see. He didn't see any new Canon 1D Mark IVs, no 5D Mark III, no replacement for the D700, no surprises in general, which is, which echoes what you just said, Tristan. So mm-hmm. um, is that the overall feeling? I mean, there was – if I had gone there, at least in the back of my mind, being a Nikon D700 shooter, you know, and it's kind of getting long in the tooth, I would have think, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe I'll see the next iteration or at least a hint, some foreshadowing of what this next Nikon will look like. They, are you saying there was none of that or just very little? I think it, there wasn't. There, I mean, from our side, the, it was in a way. Farakina has become far more of a, a communicating directly with the consumer point of view, and and I think that is it's a bit of a twist because it's not a, it's not quite a trade show. You can't buy D seven thousand off of the floor, um, you know, unless you're going through one of the camera vendors that or, or retail vendors that are there, um, and you. At the same time, you you're not seeing any of this, um, you know, f- fantastic new releases and surprise moments. So it was it was a bit of a mixed uh, bag. Uh, Sony did let us know a bit about what they had planned for what they called their advanced model. But I mean, the Sony users are in the same boat now where the Canon users were a few years ago when when they were anxiously awaiting the 5D Mark II to come out. Um, and that's you know we keep talking about what the next model is going to have, but and and seeing this prototype floating around, but we we're not actually seeing the final product. So yes, they gave us a little bit more information, but people are growing impatient, and I think that's the worry on the pro level side. Is in the past a lot of the times that the latest technology was was implemented at the top. Uh, you know, if you look at your cars um, and and how much stuff comes from the racing scene and filters its way down. Um, why we in photography now it seems to be we're seeing the flip side of it. Um, you know, the first Nikon to to feature 1080 HD is the D three thousand one hundred. You know, so it just seems a little bit odd from that point of view. Yeah, yeah, Alex, uh, you've been watching the stream of news that's been coming out of Photokina. What what has been the thing that that caught your eye as from a person that hasn't that wasn't there physically standpoint as the most significant? Boy, I mean, the, the biggest thing—the biggest thing—is just the uh, as we as we look at all of this stuff it is exactly what we were talking about right now. Is that is that it's just a much more consumer-driven thing, which I think is interesting. I think one of the challenges is is that you have a lot of people driving more towards consumer, but the issue related to that is that the you know the phones are taking that market too. You know, so it, I find that it's you know there might be a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a suicide, <laughs> yeah. you know, going on here that. 
you know, it's one, if you go too far towards that consumer market, you really have to go through the, towards the consumer. Uh, you have to aim towards the consumer SLR market because the consumer consumer market, I think, is going to be extremely difficult to maintain. Um, you know, I, uh, I think that if the, if the camera on my iPhone gets much better, my pocket phone will be my, you know, the, the phone that I, ca- the, the, the camera that I carry around is going to be my iPhone or my Android or whatever. It's not going to be, mm-hmm. you know, a pocket camera. The pocket camera is going to have to have something really special uh, to make it uh, really work. Now, I know that one thing that really tempted me to really take another look, and I, I posted a, um, a uh, I posted something on This Week in Photo on this, was the, the Sigma. So Sigma has yeah. the, the SD1. And uh, one of the things about the SD1 that really interests me is now, for a long time, Sigma had to have this conversation. It's kind of like that CPU speed uh, conversation that we used to see with computers, mm-hmm. where they had to have this kind of this conversation about uh, that, well, it's not, it's not the same resolution as all these other cameras, but, there's th- but they're stacked on top of each other, so it's sar- sharper. And so they, they would multiply the actual number of pixels that they were shooting by three, and it always just seemed like hocus-pocus. You know, regardless of what they said, it was kind of like, well, I'm still getting a six-megapixel image or a three-megapixel image. <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, it's, like I, don't, you know, I know that you say it's sharper, but it's still, you know, small. And so one of the things that's really interesting is now they are finally getting to a point where you're, you're talking about a 12-megapixel you know, camera. That is, but it's 12 megapixels stacked on top of each other, um, which theoretically could be a lot sharper. And, and I know that I've talked to people who have used the Foveon sensor, and they do say it looks a lot sharper. Here's for the listeners. Here's what's happening is, is that they're, you know, on a standard uh, sensor. So all your CMOS sensors that are in almost every one of these little cameras or big cameras that you have, you have a CMOS sensor. And it uses what's called a bear pattern. And what it does is it, it can't put... Red, it's not designed to have red, green, and blue on top of, on top of each other. It's, it's not capturing each – when we talk about each, cent, each pixel, the pixels aren't actually – each pixel isn't capturing red, green, and blue. It's not capturing everything. What's happening is a, is a pattern. There's a pattern there called the bear pattern that, that the, the different pixels are, are capturing different levels of different things. And then, and then it kind of mushes them all back together. Now, the, one of the things your camera does a lot on the way back is it sharpens everything. Everything gets sharpened coming out of your camera, except when you do RAW. And you'll notice that, but when you import a RAW image, even Photoshop or cam, you know, uh, Camera Raw will, will actually um, sharpen it a little bit automatically. It just assumes that you want to sharpen it a little bit because it's a little blurry when it comes out and it doesn't want to worry you. <laughs> so, but, but the RAW image is blurry because all those pixels were sitting next to each other, not on top of each other. And so there, there's, this, there's this little, it's not, as, it's not really crystal, crystal sharp. It gets sharpened. Uh, or we increase the perception of sharpness by uh, increasing the the values of uh, contrast, and so so the the issue is, is the Foveon sensor is very different because what it does is it stacks those sensors on top of each other. So you have red, green, and blue, and each one of them is 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 existing in the same photo site. Um, and so what that means is that they, they really are pixel to pixel next to each other. They are much more accurate. And so, um, so what this camera, what this new Sigma camera does, is it finally gives us a, a 12 megapixel image, which I really think for a, a consumer, prosumer, and lots of professionals, 12 megapixels gets to the point where you're kind of like, that's enough. Now I have big cameras in that, but it really is enough um, for most people there. Now there are reasons to have medium format and huge resolution and so on and so forth. But um, but 12 megapixels is now getting the, the Foveon sensor to a p- position where I think it's really competitive. 
what I'm really fascinated by, I'd love to do a side-by-side with my 5D, take a look at the sharpness, um, even take my 5D and, 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 and bring it down from 24 megapixel to 12 megapixel and compare those two images next to each other going, so I, you know, apples to apples, which one is, you know, sharper? And I, you know, and I'm not, I don't know what we get. And, but I think that now we're at a position where we can have that conversation uh, about the Foveon sensor. So I think that they're moving, you know, I think that Sigma made a good move uh, in that respect, um, as far as actually making the, the, the uh, their 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 camera competitive and interesting to people like me who have lots of camera Canon glass and Canon, I'm kind of like, well, I kind of like to look at that. So anyway, so yeah. that's so Tristan on on your side, I know you are you are really engaged in Sony. You know what they what they are they're working on, and you you shoot Sony. I think you do shoot Sony. Yes, uh, um, I do. The the Sony. Um, I'm looking at this article right now on the New York Times from. Uh, uh, from David Pogue. So he has this article entitled Sony Raises Camera Feats to New Level. Um, and he's talking about the new Sony Alpha A55. Uh, and I'm not sure if you're, you're familiar with this camera, but it's reading through the article, which we'll, we'll definitely link to in the, in the show blog post. But this, I haven't physically held, you know, truth be told, a Sony digital camera in my hand yet. Um, but people keep telling me that they are amazing cameras and reading, and I trust David Pogue. I've known him since way back in my Apple days. Um, reading this article, it makes me want to go out and play with this camera from what he's, it's almost magical what this thing can do. Can you, are you familiar with this body and just Sony overall? We, we are actually quite familiar with it. Part of our, our, um, trip to, to Farakina was, um, to give the, that, SLT A55 a, a run through its paces and mm. um, it's been a, a fantastic camera that it, normally um, the, the way it differs to other conventional SLRs is it's using a what Sony call a translucive um, mirror and so instead of a mirror that flips up and, and out of the way when you take your photograph this mirror allows light to pass through it onto the sensor but at the same time reflects enough light into the prism section um, so that you have your um, your autofocus system running your traditional SLR based autofocus in the name for the it just escapes me at the moment. Um, uh, I've gone blank on the technical term for it now. No, but okay. your, but your your um, autofocus system is running continuously. You know, a lot of our of um, Sony's competitors try to provide autofocus in live view or um, the autofocus in in video by using contrast detect autofocus, um, and the phase detect that's the word I was looking for works, uh, which traditional SLR uses is is um, you know, provides a much faster experience, generally speaking. Now, the translucent mirror means that you can, the mirror never moves. It's autofocusing the entire time during video. Um, if you're shooting stills, it can do 10 frames per second um, with continuous autofocus. Now, you know, yes, there are the cameras in the market that do that, but they cost three, four, five times the price of what this camera does. This isn't a, a high-end Sony. This is kind of the middle of the range or even a slight step below that type of camera. And so it, it's um, from it, it's the technology that it has in it is fantastic. It's, it is a, and what Sony told us about the new advanced model is that this translucent mirror is going to be um, in, in the next uh, advanced camera or their Alpha 700 replacement that everybody's talking about. So it, it's definitely going to be a game set. My own, only um, concern with it has been is that the, the current version, the Alpha 55, 
has a electronic viewfinder um, on the back. Now, I must be honest, I very seldom use the viewfinder on it. Um, I use the, the live view functionality on the, the screen because it's just for the kind of photography I do, it's perfect, uh, in, particularly in, in street photography situations. Um, but uh, if they're talking about that same implementation in, in an advanced camera, I can see a number of... of um, you know, serious photographers getting a little bit grumpy that they don't have a, a normal optical viewfinder. So we may see an, an evolution further still of this technology. Yeah. What I do find interesting is Canon had something similar um, going back, uh, way back into to their old uh, manual focus days. Um, were called uh, they had the camera called the Pelix, which they they called it a pellicle mirror. The mirror didn't move, and light was able to transfer through it as well as go into the viewfinder. And they implemented it again in another camera in the EOS One and RS. Um, so you know th- they were sitting with technology they could have used, and yet Sony went and redesigned the wheel completely according to them, and and they've come out with this, which has been. Uh, as I said, it, it sets a totally new standard. It's possibly the most exciting news that we've had around SLR-type cameras for some time. Yeah, and this thing is, is what, it's sub $900, right? And it, and it uses Correct. all of the, all of Sony's, what what do they have, like 25 or 30 lenses out there? Exactly. And and there's a, I mean, they've got a range of Zeiss lenses, which are fantastic. Um, you know, what, what's been the, the benefit, a lot of people have criticized them because they haven't had the legacy but that, um, you know, Nikon or Canon might have had, but People forget they they took over what Minolta had done, um, and a lot of the lenses have been designed for the digital era from you know the ground up. I I remember when I first got into digital that some of the lenses which were fantastic on film just weren't quite a, quite up to standard on on a digital body. And so, you know there's very few lenses in Sony that I've been disappointed with when I've had the opportunity to test them and to go through them. Yeah, but I mean you've also got those Zeiss lenses which are fantastic as well. So, Alex, on your side, uh, looking at these cameras and, and the fact that they shoot, uh, as David Pogue says, beautiful high-definition video, um, and they can change focus as you pan the camera and zoom and all that magic stuff, can you ever see a day when you would replace your 5Ds and do a two-for-one for every one 5D you have? You buy two, two Sony, uh, you know, two of these Sonys? I can always see that. I mean, we buy so many cameras that we, that, you know, we're... that. You know, I really look at everything um, on a case-by-case basis. I mean, I'm always looking for the best camera to do what there is to do. You know, and and, uh, and I, I definitely want to get my hands on some of these Sonys. I want to test some of the Sonys. Um, you know, I think that they are – I'm excited. I'm, I'm really excited to see Sigma doing what it's doing. I'm excited to see Sony doing what it's doing. I'm excited to see Samsung doing what it's doing. So Because I really do feel for a while I felt like, you know, we're going to lose all of our choice. It's going to be Canon or Nikon. And sometimes this, this show has gotten too much to be Canon and Nikon. And um, and so uh, I think we need to get some Sonys uh, to uh, test them. And um, it, but I think that they they are a uh, um, you know I I think that you know Sony Sony is obviously a very high end technology company. There's no reason why they can't produce great cameras. And I'm, what I'm hoping to do is that they're going to really take the take the gloves off. A lot of times, what we're victims of as consumers is the fact that these technology companies have a lot of technology that they talk about. And they have a lot of technology internally, but they slowly, you know, they only give it to us as fast as, as, as fast as they have to, Yeah, you know, because they, you know, there is this evolution that they want to, uh, nurture 
um, that make sure that that they're making as much money on every piece of investment as they can. And well, in some ways, you know, as someone who makes software and hardware and stuff like that, you understand to some some degree that if you know you, you can't if you if you're only going to get a certain amount back out of it, you have to do it at a certain speed, or you're you know you're going to put a ton into it and not get enough out of it to make it sustainable. So so there's there, I understand that, that their position in that in that case, but as consumers, we you know I just want the best camera ever all the time. You know, and 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 I think that uh, you know what I'm hoping to see is more of this, um, uh, you know, more opportunities. Uh, you know, that these companies, you know, get a little bit more aggressive about competing with each other. You know, and and I think we're seeing that with the Sony starting to do some really cool things. I think that as the eventually, sometime next year, is my guess, as the Scarlet comes out from Red, you know, I think that that's going to put a lot of pressure on these companies as well. Um, because red doesn't play by any of their rules, yeah. you know, and it, and it's constant, <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, it's like, it's like, we're going to put out, we're going to work as hard as we can. It might take us a long time, but when we come out with it, you know, we're not worried about, you know, our upline. Yeah. And so I think that that's all we, you know, red is probably the best thing that's happened to the video industry ever. Um, and whether you use a red or not, it affects the kind of cameras you're getting. Um, and as the, as they move into more of an SLR market, not an SLR market, but some kind of. Thing. I think it's also going to continue to prod these guys along. I think Sony is doing great work. Um, I know some people who have Sony's and they just swear by them. I mean, they just love the glass. They love the camera. So uh, I think it's, it's, a, it's a solid solution. Uh, I don't see myself jumping on it, using it as my day-to-day camera soon, but I can definitely, um, you know, I definitely am wide open to, to looking at it. Yeah. Tristan, Alex, you were going to say something? Yeah, I th- Alex would be glad to hear. I mean, the Alpha 55 also has a... a, a uh, built-in GPS as well. So, well, well, we I had some issues w- registering it in in Germany uh, back home. We've we've been able to geotag all the images that we've shot with it, and, and that's, great. that's fantastic. Well, you know, I was just talking to uh, Suzanne, who is our um, uh, the producer for the show, and she is going to she's going to be um, doing some work with some scouting um, folks uh, in in, Paris, in 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 France. And and so she is, uh, you know, she's getting, she's going to be off the show for a little while to, to to do that. And she was talking about, you know, cameras for scouting. I said, if you're scouting, you have to have GPS. Like if you're, you know, there are certain things that you, you got to have attached to the camera. And I do think that one of the big failings, you know, I think that in every camera, uh, you know, there's these failings that, that occur and you just can't quite understand why. You know, Canon has so many things going for it, but it doesn't have any good, easy way to attach to embed GPS, you know, on into the, into the, uh, into the images, and I do think that that built-in GPS is a massive thing. When I'm traveling, it is so awesome when I'm when I see my iPhone photos, mm-hmm. and there, you know, I can see these like when I open them up in in, in Aperture or in iPhoto, and I have little dots all over Africa, and I have little dots all over South America and Europe, and I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I took pictures with my iPhone because yeah. it, you know, bring, I can, it brings you back, right? Well, just it's just like oh, I want to see those photos, and you think that you, it's like one of those things, like it, it. To me, cameras should have GPS like they have autofocus. You know what I mean? It's just, it just that they should be attaching all of this stuff all the time. That's something yeah. that – right now, it's a cool thing. Um, but I think that you know, two years from now, three years from now, I, don't, I think it's going to be hard. Like it's hard to find a camera without video now. I think it's going to be hard to find a camera without GPS, at least some way to add GPS. Well, my um, little 
sorry, my, my little uh, carry round uh, is a Sony Cybershot HX5, um, mm. and that's got it built in. It's got a. It's also got a digital compass, so it doesn't only pinpoint where you took the photograph on your map, but it shows you the direction you were facing yeah. when you took it as well. <laughs> well, that's cool. Fantastic. So, that's you know, I have no problem, and we we use that specifically when we're traveling to small towns and documenting them for uh, another project that we run. So it, it's fantastic. It just comes in in handy. And, and I and I'm, I'm I am definitely looking forward to trying to get back into. I have to admit, I used to buy. I had a I had a Mavica a long time ago, and I shot a lot of footage on it. In addition to not being able to really get the footage off the, the you know off the the little discs that it shot to, mm-hmm. um, the compression was bad, and it was a really bad experience. <laughs> it was really <laughs> bad experience. It, it, the, the camera got stolen from our office in San Francisco. And to be honest with you, I didn't care. Like now, I, Alex, that so, was that the Sony Mavica, the floppy disk. Camera. It didn't have floppy disks. I remember that. I had I had, had a Mavic that had a, had a three and a half inch floppy that went in there. You remember yeah, that? This one, this one had a this one had a um, it, it, it had <laughs> optical disks. You know those little mini small mini CDs. Yeah. Oh, mini okay. CDs. I still have the packet of CDs, but and I have all these pictures I shot in Brazil, and I have them on drive. Fortunately, because I can't get them off the actual optical media because there's no. It was some kind of weird Sony format. I probably have to hack into it to get it off. You know, it was just you know, and and that's the kind of stuff that just makes. You know that, and, and I have to admit that it's been a decade since I've even considered using a Sony because of that experience. Well, Tristan, has Sony has Sony fixed that? For example, if if we if someone runs out and buys this new Sony because it has has all these whiz bang features and it's great, the glass is good, and mm-hmm. it's a great camera, and then they save the raw files from it and can't open them in Aperture or Photoshop, are they going to hit that or or what? Um, well, the the raw files. I mean, most of the, the the software companies are supporting the Adobe raw files, um, so that that isn't an issue. I mean, they've they've switched over that you can use Sony Memory Stick or SD cards in it. So you know, they they they're not limiting you um, in terms of the media either. Um, yes, they they have their their own uh, raw file format. Uh, they're not using DNG, but um, you know, it, it's it's uh, most of the 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 big. Um, Software brands are supporting it and producing updates shortly after new models are announced. So, and are you are you up, what are you using it for post processing? Are you up bringing images into into uh, Lightroom or Aperture right now? Um, I must be honest with you, I am really bad at editing photographs. So, <laughs> I, 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 I download my pictures using Google Picasa, and then um, and when I when I do have raw files that I process, I use um, Capture One at the moment. That's currently what I'm using. Okay, all right, so, well that's fair. But I, I just use Google Picasa because of the face recognition. A lot of what I shoot is people, and it it just works like a bomb. So yeah. All right. Well, uh, speaking of software, moving right along here, also announced at Photokina 2010 was Photoshop Elements 9 from our friends over at Adobe. Um, and this, you know, a lot of people say this, you know, in, including a, a friend of mine, Philip Andrews, that is an expert in photo in uh, Photoshop Elements, and uh, he runs a, a magazine down in Australia called uh, Better Photoshop Techniques, and basically. You know, the gist of it is for 99 bucks, you can get a hell of a lot of features that are present in Photoshop proper for just 99 bucks. Mm-hmm. Now, Alex, I know you probably knew about this months ago, this version of Photoshop that's out now. Have you had a chance to look into it or, or, or see what's magical about it and if, if uh, Twitter should play with it? So I, I have to admit that I did not. So I didn't, I didn't have any, uh, we, 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 I knew about it when everybody else knew about it. Um, oh, okay. Uh, you know, I, I was uh, out of the loop. Um, and, uh, anyway, so, um, so I haven't, I, I don't have a, uh, 
uh, an insider view of it. But what I will say is that if you are a photographer and you're not sure, you know, and you haven't done any work in Photoshop and you're trying to figure out what you're doing next, you really want to get Photoshop Elements. I mean, don't don't jump straight into Photoshop. Find out if Photoshop Elements is enough for you because it most likely will be. Uh, what they've added to it is that it's so robust uh, when it comes to it as a photo editing tool that uh, Photoshop Elements is really what 80 to 90% of the people who do it, like we don't put... Photoshop is too expensive for us to put on every one of our machines. You know, I mean, that's the that's the real issue is is that we pick and choose where we put the Adobe, um, you know, media, you know, the the master collection, or you know, we have to pick and choose, you know, any of those things. So there's certain machines on our machine at, at, at the office that have the full version, but the rest of them have elements. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, and, and it's because it's just kind of you need to open it and open and edit some stuff and everything else. We don't, um, you know, we don't uh, put Photoshop on every one of them because for if, if you're just opening up and doing some even some pretty heavy editing, elements is fine. You know, what, are, and, what are you missing out if you if you for oh, I mean this, I think there's a gigantic delta between ninety nine bucks and what what does Photoshop go for like seven forty nine or something yeah something something in that what, range what are you what are you giving up by using well elements? there's there's lots of the there's a lot of the the 3D stuff and some of the higher end retouching tools and a lot of the channel operations and and you know there's a lot of things that a professional will miss immediately you know you know like if you're a professional retoucher you're doing really really heavy work. Uh, in Photoshop, or you're doing big design work, you, you need Photoshop. I mean, you know, that's the. I mean, it is the core tool for what you do. But if you're, but what we looked at, what I realized is, is that a lot of our guys were spending a lot of time. They just need to open an image and do some editing on it, mm-hmm. and uh, and do some work. And there's a lot of other tools that are out there, but they're just not the same. You know, they just there's a there's a there is a uh, a pedigree that Photoshop has as far as uh, patents and technology and engineers that. That you just don't you just don't feel that fit and finish in a lot of the other ones, and and I think that the the other one, I'm really glad that there's other ones um, that are making their way up, um, but but I I don't think that they're quite there yet. All right, Alex. Well, what about this? You know, flipping it on its side, uh, a photographer who's not a designer that's not going to do high end compositing and all that magic. Um, uh, typically, I would I would suggest Lightroom to that person or Aperture, you know, whatever. But one of those kind of applications that you're not going to be creating masks or all this crazy stuff. Well, you know? and even and I think those things are slowly progressing too. I mean, I I do most of my image work in Aperture, and I think you do most of yours in you know in Lightroom. Now, yeah. I don't have. I think that Lightroom just you know for me, I like Aperture as a safe environment for me because I just. You know, I like the vault systems and the library systems, and I'm very comfortable with that. And uh, and, and and the other thing is, is that with not more with Aperture than with Lightroom, once you commit to it, it's really complicated to uncommit to it. Yeah. You know, I have so much metadata and so much stuff. It, I don't use Aperture to organize my photos. I use it to organize my photos, my PDFs, my um, and my movies. <laughs> yeah. So so it has everything, you know, all in it, and it's got these vaults and it's got all this stuff, and and so I'm very, you know, to me that's a, um, you know, I'm very attached to that, and I do most of my work there now. Part of the reason I don't worry about it is, is that I do do, I have Photoshop. If I need to do something, I open open it in Photoshop and do some work on it. The the issue is, is if I didn't have Photoshop, um, I would be more, I'd lean probably more towards Lightroom because. Uh, and, and if I wasn't so comfortable in Photoshop, I'd lean more towards Lightroom because it has better editing tools than, than Aperture. Um, and so, you know, you can do a lot more. And I, and I do think you're right that, that, light, that Lightroom has, you know, is, is very much a Photoshop light. But I still think you're going to find there's, there's, there's tools in Elements that I have, to, I have to do a – I had the impression that there's still a lot of editing tools in Elements that aren't in Lightroom. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's true because yeah. it's it's a it's a full on image editing program, whereas Lightroom right. is is based on being an image management or digital asset management 
application right. that lets so, you process and your and raw I think files. It's a great right? additive. I mean, it's it, once again, it's one of those things that you could have Lightroom, maybe maybe you have Elements, and then if you really decide, you keep on hitting that wall. The, the, the big thing with technology, I think, that people have to get into is that there's a lot of this stuff out there, and there's a real temptation to buy the best of everything immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I become a, I, over time, I've really become a big fan of of using what I have until I hit the ceiling. You know, when I hit the ceiling, I buy the next thing up, but I don't go and try to buy the biggest, baddest thing right now because a lot of times, you know, I uh, evolve to a different direction, and I'm really glad I didn't spend that extra $2,000 or $1,000 or $700. I think that's that's excellent advice. I mean, for the person that that is considering jumping into Photoshop and is is counting pennies, definitely – uh, even you're a photographer, do the Lightroom or Aperture route, and then as your image editing application, why not throw on uh, Photoshop Elements? It's for Windows and Mac, and you know tie that in as your external Command E editor. And then if you hit the wall, like Alex says, then go ahead and plunk down the money and get Photoshop. You know, all this technology is continuing, and this is the same with your camera. Uh, you, you know, obviously, you want to buy enough camera that you've got a little bit of leg room, but buying a like deciding i'm going to get into photography and buying a 5d mark ii is that's a big jump <laughs> and you're spending a lot of money and you know you know, there's a lot to learn between here and there and that's why you know when we were growing up uh, us old photographers when we were growing up the the average one that your uncle gave you or your friend gave you was the pentax k1000 yeah it was yeah. annual and it was cheap and it was durable and it always worked and and it forced you to think about lots of things and all many many of us started that way and i think that um, you know, you want to start in a way that you can, uh, you know, take lots of photos and, uh, you know, and not worry about committing to that just yet. Make sure that you really, you've used up that whatever, you know, step you're on before you move to the next one. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, we got time for, uh, let's just do one listener question this week. Um, and let's do it as, let's do question number one. And Alex, I want to throw this over to you because you are the guy that has a bunch of Canon gear and you replace gear all the time. So you want to take mm-hmm. this one? Sure. So, um, and uh, hold on, let me see here. I got to get to the bottom. We jumped and then I was. It's from Gary Gurner Hack. Gurney Hack, I'm sorry. Yes. Um, so um, it says, I've just, re- I have just purchased a Canon 50D to replace my 20D. The 20D still works fine, and I probably use it as a second camera to save uh, changing lenses. I have a Sigma 18 to 20, 18 to 200. Uh, 18 to 20 would be really funny. Anyway, sorry. Uh, 18 to 200, uh, 4.5 to 5.6, and a Canon 51.8. Obviously, there are times when each lens is better suited to, um, to a purpose, but the, fi- the 50D will be the primary camera. So... Is it better to have the Sigma or Canon lens with the 50D to take advantage of the better features of the 50D, or does it really matter? And my answer is, that should not be really what you're making the decision about. So, you know, if you are making it, you know, the, the reason that you want to use the 18 to 200 or the 50D, the 50, or the Canon 50 is really more about the situation that you're in, and much less about uh, which you're shooting on the 50D or the 20D. The 50D, of course, has a lot of great stuff. I shot on the 20D for years. And so, and my sister has a 50D. And, um, and the, uh, so they're great cameras. And uh, the, um, but I think that the decision you're going to make, I mean, the reason you're going to use a 50, I think, most of the time is you're really looking kind of a portrait style lens because that's really kind of an 80, you know, 80, 85 millimeter lens for the, the APS uh, sensor. And um, and you're going to want that wide aperture. You want the soft, that that that, that real soft background um, that that you're looking for. And that's why you're going to use that 50. And it's a lot. It's really small. 
Um, that you're going to use the Sigma because you want a lot of flexibility. You want to be able to go out and shoot wide. You want to be able to shoot long. You want to be able to, you know, pump back and forth. You're not worried about everything being really soft focused behind your subject because you, you have a much smaller aperture of 4.5 to 5.6. So, um, so I think that you're going to make the decisions based on those things much more than based on the, the, the differences uh, between the 50D and 20D. Got it. Perfect answer. All right, guys, uh, let's move on to the picks of the week. This is where each guest gives their selection, and that pick can be a piece of software, hardware, gear, workshop, whatever, as long as it's related to photography. And Tristan, since you are the, uh, this is your first time on This Week in Photo, I'm going to give the honors of going first to you. What's your pick of the week? Um, well, other than picking Farakina itself, I would have um, we, we we met up with James from Enlight Photo, who they they produce the I don't know if you've uh, come across it, the Orbis. Uh, it's basically the best way to describe it is kind of like a, a ring flash adapter um, that that would fit on the the front of your normal hot shoe um, flash gun. And kind of softens the light and gives you a bit of a, a ring flash effect. Now, they've just released a brand new product that will be shipping in October called the Frio, F-R-I-O. It's a, it's a cold shoe designed for the guys that are doing strobus stuff or you could use it for video as well. And, you know, a lot of people would say, well, what's the benefit of a, of another cold shoe? What they've done is this is, it's a, a plastic cold shoe that has a, a clip lock. So once you slide your, your flash into it, there is a plastic um, a, uh, a a flap that likes locks up your shoe into place so that it can't come out. Basically, it, it's locked there. And then, if you want to double secure it, you can obviously use the locking pin that your uh, SB nine hundred or your five eighty EX would have on it as well. Um, but it's it's small. It's got a place to strap a lanyard on, so you could uh, suspend your your pocket wizard or other radio trigger from it as well. And you could wear it on your key ring if you wanted to. It, it's so small and, and it's really cool looking. Um, oddly enough, you can't, it, it, like I said, they, it wasn't actually, we met him at Photokina, but he wasn't actually on Photokina. And this little device I think is fantastic for, for the Strobus guys or if you need to take your um, video accessories off camera, it, it's a fantastic accessory to have. Very cool. Very cool. And that's, uh, what was the name of that device again? It's the Frio, F-R-I-O. Cool. Uh, it was up on Strobist's uh, site recently. They they spoke about it in the last couple of days, I think, as well. All right. We'll definitely link to that in the show notes as well. Alex, what is your pick of the week? So I, I don't know if I've picked this one. And if I if I didn't, I was using it so much last week that I, I just feel like I need to pick it again. <laughs> now, um, so I don't think I, I don't think I have. I think I've talked about it on other shows. But um, and yeah, this is an iPhone app, and it's called DOF Calculator. Um, and there are a group of DOF calculators, and the thing to do is look at which one makes the most sense. I know a lot of people who like different ones, um, but what's, what you're able to do here is put in your camera, your Canon or your Fujifilm or your Epson or whatever you have there, and you can, you can put your camera format in. You can tell it what focal length you're setting it to, um, and, uh, and then you can um, you know, adjust the calculation so that you can see, like at an aperture of two or three, this is how many... This is how much, um, this is the distance that I have. Uh, this is my focus, focus distance, so I can set my focus distance, and I can say it'll tell you your near limit and your far limit of what's going to be in focus, your total, de- total depth of field, your hyperfocal distance. These things are all, you know, you're, you're all able to you, you see that really quickly. Now, this is something that, man, when we do this, when we, we do a lot of short, especially stuff that is wide open and some kind of, uh, you know, and, and the, the thing that is really useful about this is that if you start using this, not only uh, are you able to make 
field decisions about what you're doing with your aperture, but you also, it starts training your mind to know. What I found is that a lot of times I'm on set now and I naturally, because I've done it so many times on this, on this calculator, I naturally know, like I'll look at it and I go, okay, I'm setting this to a 5.6 and I'm zooming into this. And that means that I'm going to have a, a, a um, you know, my, I'm going to have a near limit and a far, you know, total DOF of, of, you know, of a meter, or sometimes I'll know in the back of my head that I'm going to have a total DOF of, of, of less than an inch. Um, and, uh, and those are the kind of things that it, it, you know that kind of organically when you are shooting. You know, you know that things, I have a really short depth of field. When you start seeing the actual numbers, when you're using a DOF calculator on your iPhone or on your Android or whatever, it becomes a real something that's really going on in your head. Like you're really knowing that when I go to a 50 and I open it up to 1.8 and I am zooming in on something that's right in front of me, um, you know, I'm only going to have, you know, a 16th of an inch or an eighth of an inch that's in focus, you know, and that changes the way I shoot. I mean, it, it, it did change the way I shoot because I started really becoming clear of the science behind what I was doing. And suddenly I found myself, you know, closing down a little bit. You know, I was really excited about having a 1.4 lens and sometimes I open it up to 1.4, but a lot of times I found myself, you know, closing it down to, you know, two, two eight or, or, or even close, you know, cause I'm, I'm now I'm thinking about the actual number of That's what's right. in focus and what's out of focus. And I think that there's something about it, just carrying it around and doing something with this calculator or another calculator on your, on your phone, um, really gives you this, um, this, this, it, it allows your mind to start really becoming very clear of what depth of field means and how it affects you. Excellent. All right. Uh, before I give my pick, um, you know, Tristan on that Frio device that you just mentioned, I yes. went, I went to their web- website and was, I was all set to buy it. I was going to buy it while Alex was giving, <laughs> was giving his pick and I can't buy it. So it's, uh, they say it's going to be available, uh, in the best camera stores around the world and on this site in October. So next month. Yes. It's, it's a brand new product. We, we pretty much managed to get a bit of a scoop on it. So it was fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah. They should, you know, hey, Frio guys, put up a put up a an early buying list or something so you can capture some email addresses. I'll, I'll be sure to pop them a mail <laughs> and let them know. They should do that because people will want to sign up and get it early. All right, and my pick of the week is Friends of This Week in Photo, and these are the guys that also sponsor the This Week in Photo uh, Meetup Group, which you can find on Meetup.com. Just do a search for Twip or This Week in Photo. Um, but they did some amazing work on redesigning their site, and it looks fantastic. So if you haven't revisited SmugMug.com recently, definitely go check out SmugMug and look at it. It, uh, you know, I, I'm really enjoying the design. And now they've, you know, one of the one of the issues with SmugMug has been that they had all this power. And all these features, but they were below the surface. You know, it was like all this magic dust hidden beneath a, uh, a layer of burlap. Well, now they've uh, they've revealed all the features, and now you can really get at what this what the service can do for you, and 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 even screenshots of the different customizations that are available to photographers and all this stuff. So, if you haven't been over the Smug Mug recently, definitely head over there and poke around. They've done a fantastic so, job. So, yep. it's what can Smug do for you? What can Smug do for you? There you go. <laughs> go ahead. Oh, just a quick question. Is, um, does Smugmug services offer pretty much internationally as well? Or? I believe so. I mean, they're, 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 okay. they're a website. So um, as far as the commerce piece, you'd have to dig deeper in there because they, okay. they allow photographers to sell uh, you know, images and other things from their sites. But, uh, you know, and they, they do the, 
you can outsource that to different labs. So you'd have to do a little investigation in terms of, of how that works. But yeah, I mean, at the base level, the DNA level, it's a, it's a website. Sounds very interesting. All right. Uh, just a quick note on the photo missions. We've been doing the photo missions on um, the show for, for a couple of weeks, and you may have noticed that we paused them. It's because we're rethinking them and going to do something really, really cool. And a lot of this is based on the incredible response we got for the uh, those photo mugs that we're going to announce actually a little bit later this weekend. So there'll be a blog post about who won the Canon and Nikon photo mug. So going to work with those guys to see if we can pull something together that and, and also couch it around uh, a theme on photo missions. So without giving it all the way, all the way, just stay tuned. There'll be some cool stuff coming on the photo missions very shortly. All right. We are, looks like we're at the end of the show. Tristan, where, uh, where can people find you online? Um, they can find us, uh, the, the photo comment website is photocomment.net. We're on Twitter at photocomment.com forward slash photocomment. That's P H O T O C O M E N T. Sometimes I say it too fast. And, uh, we've got a Facebook fan page as well. Excellent. All right. Alex Lindsay, where are you at? I am on the Twitters. So you can find me at Alex Lindsay. Uh, you know, the other thing is, is if you are, if you're listening to the show and we're going to be doing a bunch of cool promotions and contests and everything else within the pixel core. And I'm going to be announcing them on, on my Twitter as well as pixel core, uh, which is all one word and uh, DV garage. And so that, it depends on what the, the, the they are, uh, what the contests are. So uh, definitely, uh, you know, we're going to really kind of moving away from our mailing list and towards our Twitter account. Good. So, um, so definitely if you want to be on kind of the edge of what, Pixacore, DV Garage, or I'm doing, um, you know, Alex Lindsay or DV Garage or Pixacore, follow those. And uh, we'll be putting out lots of announcements, sales, so on and so forth coming up this fall. So definitely check that out. Very cool. And to keep up with everything in the This Week in Photo universe, just head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to our Facebook fan page, our Twitter account, and so much more. If you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Frederick Van. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.